Welcome to the Murder House Radio Show. I'm your host, X. On this show, we will be covering serial killers, killers, mass shooters, disappearances, true crime, and the most deplorable things and people in history. All that good, dark stuff. The Murder House Radio Show will be a radio show slash podcast. I'll be uploading videos every Friday at 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Once you hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification and select all to get all notifications if you are viewing on YouTube. And hit follow if you are listening on a podcasting platform. So sit down, get comfortable, grab some coffee or whatever your preferred beverage is, turn off the lights, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, I hope you had a good week and are having a good Friday so far. Let me know how your week was and how your Friday was down in the comments. When I'm recording this, my day has been going all good. But as well, if you wish to ask for some advice to be covered at the end of the podcast slash broadcast or want to give a suggestion for future podcast episodes, the podcast email will be in the description below. Or you can leave your question, uh, episode suggestions in the comments. But, uh, yeah, so there's that. Also, the sources for today's video will be in the description below. So, uh, without any further ado, let's get into today's episode. Today's episode slash broadcast will be on John Wayne Gacy. He was an American serial killer, one of the most infamous and famous Ameri American serial killers in American history. He was a serial killer and a sex offender known as the Killer Clown, who assaulted and murdered at least 33 young men and boys. John regularly performed at children's hospitals and charity events, as well as parties as Pogo the Clown. Or Patches the Clown. Um, this persona he devised, like he uh, made this persona. He uh, was also active in his community as a Democratic Party captain. So he's involved in politics, much like Ted Bundy, but on the Democrat side. And he was a building contractor. He actually owned his own company. But uh, according to John, all of his murders were committed inside his house or near Norridge, a village in Norwood Park Township, Metropolitan Chicago, Illinois. Interesting. Um, he would usually lure his victims back home and uh, he would dupe them into donning handcuffs on the pretext, on the pretext of demonstrating a magic trick. So he'd uh, trick them into wearing handcuffs by uh, saying he was going to perform a magic trick and they needed to wear them. And then he would rape and torture them before killing them by either asphyxiation or strangulation with a garrote. But uh, yes, that's a very intimate way to kill someone. And not messy at all. Um, 26 victims were buried in his crawl space. 
So, uh, there is that. <laughs> um, and three others were buried somewhere else on his property. Four were discarded in the Des Plaines River. Um, Gacy was convicted on, sod on the sodomy of a teenage boy in Waterloo, Iowa in 1968. Well, shit. And he was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but served 18 months holy. Um, he murdered his first victim in 1972, and had murdered twice more by the end of 1975. Um, at least 30 subsequent victims were killed after his divorce from his second wife in 1979. Uh... Investigation into the disappearance of a Des Plaines teenager, Robert Pist Piest, Piest, P -I -E -S -T, led to Gacy's arrest on the 21st of December, 78. Uh, my reading is getting uh, more fluent, <laughs> less uh, choppy and stuttering and shit. <laughs> I guess practice makes perfect, I guess. <laughs> Um, he was convicted for 33 murders, and, uh, this was the most by one individual in United States history at the time. Gacy was sentenced to death on March 13th, 1980. On death row at the, he was on death row at Mendar Correctional Center, and he spent much of his time painting, and people can actually buy these paintings. They're a bit of a rarity, I guess, or a morbid collector's item as well. He was executed by lethal injection at Stateville Correctional Center on May 10th. Uh, May 10th, 1994. So he's in prison for 14 years, pretty much. Yeah. But there's a quick recap on uh, who John Wayne Gacy is and what he did. So, uh... Let's take a deeper delve into this psychopath. So John was born in Chicago on March 17th, 1942, and he was a second child and only son to his father, John Stanley Gacy, and his mother, Marion Aline Robertson. And his father was an auto repair mechanist and a World War I veteran. And his mother was a homemaker. I'm not sure what that is. Gacy was, uh, was Polish and Danish. That's what his ancestry was. And his family was Catholic. Interesting. Um, his grandparents, his paternal grandparents, so I think that's on his mother's side. Um, they spelt their name Gatesy, Gatesa, G-A-T-A-Z-T, fuck's sakes, G-A-T-Z-A, or G-A-C-A, word. They immigrated to the United States from Poland, and then uh, also part of Prussia and Germany. Interesting. So uh, his childhood... Uh, he was close to his mother and two sisters, but endured a difficult relationship with his father. His father was an alcoholic who was physically abusive to him, his siblings, and his uh, mother, so his wife. Um, 
The father also belittled him, calling him dumb and stupid, and comparing him unfavorably and comparing him unfavorably with his sisters. So his dad was just a sack of shit, basically. Um, on one of one of Gacy's earliest memories was being beaten with a leather belt for accidentally discarding car engine components his father had assembled. Oh, okay. Um, his mother tried to shield him from the father's beating, which only resulted in accusations that he was a sissy and a mama's boy who would probably grow up a queer. Oof. Holy shit. Despite the uh, mistreatment, Gacy still loved his dad, but felt he was never good enough in his father's eyes. Yeah, that's pretty fucking damaging for a kid. And a fucking adult. That's damaging all around. But in 1949, um, this was one, 1949, he would have been 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49. He would have been seven-ish. So in 1949, Gacy's father was informed his son and another boy had been caught sexually fondling a young girl. Ooh, shit. His father whipped him with a razor stroke as punishment. Jesus. Oh, oh, it's like a leather, it's like a belt for sharpening a razor word. But, um, I would say that is a just punishment for fucking sexually fondling a young girl. That's fucked up. But, um, the same year, a family friend and a contractor would sometimes molest Gacy in his truck. Oof. So, so far, we have a troubled relationship with parents or a parent, a.k.a. his father. Um, sexual activity, either uh, warranted or unwarranted as forms of the fondling. It was probably unwarranted. So, another sack of shit move. And, um, fucking molestation, which is, uh, fucked up. Um, he never told his, uh, father about the molestation from the, uh, family friend, and he was afraid that his father would blame him. Oh, shit. Um, he was also overweight, Gacy was overweight and, uh, unathletic, and because of his heart condition, he was told to avoid all sports during school. And during the fourth grade, Gacy began to experience blackouts. Oh, shit. He was um, put in the hospital on occasion because of these uh, blackouts. And also in 1957, um, from a brush of appendix... Um, appendix. <laughs> a burst appendix. Fuck's sake, some dumb story, guys. <laughs> um... He later estimated that between the ages of 14 to 18, he had spent almost a year in hospitals and attributed the decline of his grades to missing school. So he was in the hospital a lot and his school suffered from it, which makes sense. Um, his father, however, thought that these episodes were an effort to gain sympathy and attention and openly accused his son of faking these conditions that landed him in the hospital. Oof, that's rough. Although his mother, sister, and few close friends never doubted his illnesses, 
Gacy's medical condition was never compulsively diagnosed. I was about to say it. If a doctor diagnoses you with it, you can't be faking it. But there again, it just said he uh, was never diagnosed. So, very well could have been faking it, but you never know. Um, It says here that uh, a friend of Gacy's in high school uh, said several instances when his father ridiculed or beat his son without provocation. So, unwarranted beatings. So, abuse. Straight up abuse. And on one occasion in 1957, he witnessed Gacy's father um, coming over or whatever drunk from a fam from a, a family basement and begin belittling, then assaulting his son for no apparent reason. So um, he came out from the basement and basically just started yelling and picking on his son and beating his son with no uh, fucking reason, he basically saw him, and was like, I'm fucking beat him, basically, um, Gacy's mother attempted to intervene as her son simply put up his hands to defend himself, according to the friend, Gacy never struck his father back during these altercations, yeah, you gotta fucking fight at that point, fuck that shit, but how old was he, so, um, 57, 1957, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, he was about 15 when this happened, so, yeah, I probably would have tried to fight back at that age, I probably would have still got my ass kicked, but I would have tried to fight back, but there again, I was never, uh, abused or anything, I had a good childhood real good childhood, loving parents and all that shit. I've been disciplined, but I've had loving parents. There's a difference between discipline and abuse, a clear difference. But um it says here career origins. So that was all his uh early life and childhood up until he's about 15. I'm assuming he graduated school, it doesn't say here. And then it says career origins. So um and in the 60, in 60, in 060, 1960, at 8.10, <laughs> um, Gacy became involved in politics. So right off the bat, right after high school, he became involved in politics. He worked as an assistant precinct, precinct captain, word. An assistant precinct captain for the Democrat Party, word. Um, worked as a Christian Democratic Party candidate in his neighborhood. Word. So it was a low level, so like a neighborhood Democratic Party cabinet fucking assistant person. Word, word. This led to more uh, criticism from his father, who accused his son of being a patsy. What the fuck's a patsy? I've never heard of that one. Uh. Okay, word. Um, Gacy later, uh, speculated it was to seek the acceptance from others that he never received from his father. Um, okay. And then it says here, the same year that, uh, John's political involvement began, his father bought him a car. Uh, he kept the vehicle's title in his own name until, uh, John had finished paying for it. Okay. These monthly payments took several years for him to uh, finish. His father would confiscate the keys to the vehicle if Gacy did not 
do is he said, so he's ransoming the car, basically, or blackmailing the car, I guess you could see. Well, not blackmailing, but uh, he was just holding the car ransom. In 1962, Gacy purchased an extra set of keys after his father confiscated the originals. In response, the father revoked the distur distributor cape, the distributor cap. Okay. Keeping the component for three days, Gacy recalled he felt totally sick and drained after this incident. I see. Um, and then I guess he moved to Las Vegas or drove to Las Vegas. It says, uh, after the distributor cap was replaced or whatnot, Gacy drove to Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada, and he found work within an ambulance service before he was transferred to work as an attendant at the Palm Mortuary. So he's working with dead bodies here. Okay. Um, as a mortuary attendant, John slept on a cot behind the embalming room. Holy fuck. Imagine sleeping in a mortuary. So a morgue. Um, he worked there for three months and he, uh, would watch the morticians embalm dead bodies so maybe he learnt skills that he would later use at this job. He later confessed that one evening, while he was alone, he had uh, went into the coffin of a deceased teenage male, embracing and caressing the body, before experiencing a sense of shock. Hmm. And this made Gacy to call his mother the next day and ask whether his father would allow him to return home. Okay, the father agreed, and the same day he drove back to Chicago. So maybe he didn't like what he was feeling and he wanted to go home. Makes sense, makes sense. So he was in Springfield, maybe this is where they were living at the time. He uh, returned home and enrolled in Northwestern Business College. And uh, he, oh, he didn't graduate from high school. So it's, yeah, okay, fair enough. So he went to college without graduating high school. Word. He graduated in 1963 and took a management trainee position with the Nunbush Shoe Company. Okay. And in 1964, the shoe company, company transferred him to Springfield, Illinois. Okay, fair enough. He worked as a salesman and eventually promoted himself to manager of his department. Fair enough. And um, of March of that year... He became engaged to his first wife, I'm guessing, Marilyn Myers, and this was a fellow co-worker, word. Uh, during this uh, partnership, Jace, uh, Gacy, Gacy, Gacy joined the local Jaycees and worked tirelessly for them. What's the Jaycees here? The United States Junior Chamber, also known as the Jaycees. JC's or JSI US is um leadership training and civic organization for people between the ages of 18 and 40. It is a branch of the Junior Chambers International areas of okay, fair enough. So it says here by 1965, Gacy had risen to the position of vice president of the Springfield's JC's. That same year, he was named the third most outstanding J.C. in the state of Illinois, word. And then, he moved to Waterloo, Iowa, where he managed a KFC. 
So, uh, Gacy was a well-put-together serial killer, I guess you could say. And then he was also a member of the Waterloo Jaycees. So these Jaycees seem to be a part of, uh, a big part of them. And Jaycees is spelled J-A-Y-C-E-E-S. But, um, here we are, the KFC manager. After six months courtship, J.C. and Myers married in September 1964, and uh, Maryland's father subsequently purchased three KFCs in Waterloo, okay, in Waterloo, Iowa. The couple moved there so he could manage the restaurants with the understanding that he would move into Maryland's parents' former home, okay, which had been vacant for the couple. Word. Alright, so, uh, okay, fair enough. Um, the offer was lucrative, obviously, and Gacy would receive $15,000 a year, the equivalent of about 123900 as of 2021, so that's a fuckload of money then, holy shit. Plus a share of the restaurant's profits, that's, that's pretty fucking good. So, um, yeah. Gacy relocated to Waterloo with his wife. He opened a club in his basement where his employees could drink alcohol and play pool. Sounds like a lit-ass boss. Uh, although Gacy employed teenagers of both sexes at his restaurants, he socialized only with the young men. Ooh, okay, that's a little sus. Gacy gave many of them alcohol before he made sexual advances. Ooh, that is rape. <laughs> he then re rebuffed him. They re if they rebuffed him, he would claim his advances were simply jokes or a test of morals. Okay, then. Uh, ch -ch -ch. In February 1966, Gacy's wife gave birth to their first son, and a daughter in March 1967. Okay, so two kids. Gacy himself later described this period of his this period of his life as perfect. Word sounds pretty perfect. Ah, uh, he had finally earned his father's approval, uh, and Gacy's parents went to visit in July 1966. His father privately apologized for the physical and emotional abuse he had inflicted throughout his son's childhood and adolescence and said, Son, I was wrong about you, as he shook Gacy's hand. Well, I mean, at least he got an apology. That's fucking... Lots of people can't say that much, but uh, still... Still unrepairable damage for the most part, I would assume. But, um, seems fairly almost normal up to this part, except the fucking fondling of a fucking girl back in the day, back when that shit happened. But, uh, yeah, seems pretty normal with the exception of that. And then, yeah, well, not normal because, you know, abuse and all that shit, but, uh, yeah, so there's all of that. So this is all pre-killings, I'm pretty sure. So Waterloo Jaycees. In the Waterloo, Gacy joined the local Gacy's Jaycees chapter, regularly offering extended hours to the organization. In addition to his 12 to 14 hour days, he worked as managing the KFCs. Or, so he managed the three KFCs, word. 
At the meetings, Gacy often provided fried chicken and instead of being called Colonel, and insisted on being called Colonel. <laughs> so he's a pretty dope dude, pretty dope dude, until he started killing people. <laughs> and he was a dope dude with the exception of all the fuck shit he does, does up until he starts killing people. But, um, yeah. And then although Gacy was considered ambitious and something of a bargeart, okay, the other Jaycees held him in high regards for his fundraising work and in 1967 named him Outstanding Vice President of the Waterloo Jaycees Word. Fair enough. And then the same year, Gacy served on the board of directors. Okay. And uh, John and other Waterloo Jaycees were also deeply involved in wife swapping, prostitution, pornography, and drug use. Holy fuck. <laughs> These guys sounded like a bunch of partying swingers. Like, the wife swapping as mean as long as everybody's willing participants in this and they're all having a good time. Fucking do you, I guess. <laughs> Fuck sakes. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat as long as it's uh, all consensual. <laughs> Fuck. And then, here comes his assault of Donald Voorhees. Oh, fuck Jason Voorhees, Donald Voorhees, holy shit. <clears throat> so it says here, in August of 1967, Gacy assaulted, sexually assaulted 15-year-old Donald Voorhees, the son of a fellow Jaycee. Um, Gacy lured Voorhees to his house upon the promise of showing him heterosexual stag films. So what, porn? Stag films is a type of porn, yeah. Regularly played at the JC events, okay? Gacy plied Voorhees with alcohol, so he got him drunk, allowed him to watch the porn, then persuaded him to engage in mutual oral sex, adding, you have to have sex with a man before you start having sex with women. Oof. Over the following months, Gacy similarly abused several other youths. Oh. So here is his major downfall. Fuck. Um, in, including one whom Gacy encountered, encouraged to have sex with his own wife before blackmailing him into performing oral sex on him. Well, I mean, if someone found out that he banged Gacy's wife, that would look bad on the wife, but it would also look bad on Gacy, because, you know, fuck. Uh, Gacy tricked several teenagers into believing he was commissioned to conduct homosexual experiments in the interest of scientific research and paid them up to $50 each. Well, shit. That's, uh, fucking disturbing. In March 1968, Voorhees reported... To his father that Gacy had sexually assaulted him. Voorhees Sr. immediately informed the police who arrested Gacy and charged him with performing oral sodomy on Voorhees and the attempted assault of 16-year-old Edward Lynch. L-Y-N-C-H. Uh, 
Gacy denied the charges and demanded to take a polygraph test. The results indicated that Gacy was nervous when he denied any wrongdoing in relations to the assaults. Well, shit. Um, I, he publicly denied any wrongdoings and insisted the charges against him were politically motivated. Voorhees Sr. had opposed these notions. Okay. And, uh, Gacy's was, um, like, uh, demoted or taken away from the president of the Iowa's JCs. Oh, no, fuck, he was nominated for the president of the Iowa JCs. Okay, then. Several fellow JCs found Gacy's story credible and railed to his support. Oh, shit. And then um, on May 10th, 1968, Gacy was in in of the sodomy charges. So he was uh, convicted on those charges? Word? Okay. Fair enough. So there is all that. So, he was also involved in witness intimidation. He, uh pressured or persuaded one of his employees, 18-year-old Russell, one of his 18-year-old employees, Russell, to physically assault Voorhees in an effort to discourage the boy from testifying. Well, shit. Gacy promised to pay Russell $300, which was a lot back then, and then Russell agreed, and in early September, lured Voorhees to an isolated country park Sprayed a mace in his eyes, then beat him. Well, shit. Um, he, Voorhees escaped, reported the assault to police, and identified Russell as his attacker. They arrested him, and the following day, while initially denying any involvement, he soon confessed to assaulting Voorhees, and said he had done so at Gacy's request. Well, shit. And then police arrested Gacy and laid an additional charge of hiring Russell to assault and intimidate Voorhees. That's not a good look. <laughs> um, and then on the 12th of, uh, fucking September 1968, he was, uh, ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation at the psychiatric hospital of the University of Iowa. And then, uh, two doctors examined him over a 17-day period before concluding he had antisocial personality disorder. Okay. Um, and he was, uh, unlikely to benefit from any therapy or medical treatment. Um, okay. Makes sense at that time, I guess. They didn't know much back then, I guess. I'm not too sure. I'm not a doctor or, uh, well-versed in that type of stuff. But, um... And that his behavior patterns were likely to bring him into repeated conflict with society. You, you fucking think, holy. The doctors concluded he was mentally competent to stand trial. Fair enough. So, November 7th, 1968, he pled guilty to one count of sodomy in relation to Voorhees, but not guilty to the charges of uh, the other use. And, uh, Gacy's claimed Voorhees had offered himself to him, and that he had acted out of cur curiosity. 
His story was not believed. Gacy was convicted of sodomy on December 3rd and sentenced to 10 years in prison to be served in the... Anamasa, Anamasa State Penitentiary, and as I said earlier, I think he only served 18 months. That same day, his wife petitioned for divorce and requested she be awarded the couple's home and property, sole custody of their two children, and alimony. Oof. The court ruled in her favor. Well, that's good, because he's a fucking pedophile. And the divorce was finalized September 18th, 1969. Um, he never saw his wife or children ever again. Good. Um, on Christmas Day in 1968, 19, fuck, 1969, Gacy's father died from a fucking cirrhosis of the liver, okay? When told the news, Gacy collapsed on the floor crying. His request for a supervised companion um, compassion leave to attend the funeral was denied. Okay. So, Gacy was granted parole with 12 months probation on June 18th, 1970. Uh, he was, at, yeah, after serving 18 months, like I said, out of his 10-year sentence, which is bullshit. Um, the conditions of his parole included that Gacy relocate to Chicago to live with his mother, and that he must observe, um... Observe a 10 p.m. curfew. So on his release, Gacy told a friend and fellow J.C., Clarence Lane, who picked him up from the prison and had uh, remained steadfast in his belief of Gacy's innocence, okay, that he would never go back to jail and that he intended to reestablish himself in Waterloo. And then within 24 hours of his release, Gacy had relocated to Chicago. He arrived there on June 19th and shortly after obtained a job as a short order cook in a restaurant. Fair enough. Oh shit, and then he was fucking caught another case for sexually assaulting another teenage boy who claimed he had lured him into his car at Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal and driven him to his home where he had attempted to force the boy into sex. The court dismissed this complaint when the boy failed to appear. Oh shit. And this was on February 12th, 1971. So he diddly-darn-dare done, fucked up again, and became a pedo once again. But once a pedo, always a pedo. Um... On June 22nd, John was arrested and charged with aggravated sexual battery and reckless conduct. Okay. The arrest was in response to a complaint filed by a youth who claimed that Gacy had flashed a sheriff's badge, lured him into his car, and forced him to perform oral. Oof. These charges were dropped after the complaint attempt to blackmail Gacy, okay? Iowa Board of Parole did not learn of these incidents, and eight months later, in October 1971, Gacy's parole had ended. The following month, records of Gacy's previous criminal convictions were sealed. Yo, how the fuck didn't probation figure this shit out, bro? They should have locked his ass right the fuck back up. But when... 
he was first convicted of any of this sexual shit with children, they should have fucking put him down. Like, straight the fuck up. Bullet to the back of the ear. Twice. Double tap. Pop, pop. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, he did his thing. Got, he did his thing. Moved to, uh, 82nd, 8213 West Summerland Avenue. And, um, yes. He had financial assistance from his mother. Blah, 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 blah. And then he, uh... Got married a second time in August 1971, shortly after uh, Gacy and his mother moved into the house. So he moved to this house with his mother, got married to, uh, he got married to Carol Hoff, a divorced mother with two young daughters. They were married on July 1st, 1972. Okay. They, uh, moved in to his house shortly afterward. Shortly after announcing their engagement, Casey's mother moved out of the house shortly before the wedding. Okay. Yeah, I don't get how uh, a mother, let alone any woman, can marry a fucking pedo. A convicted pedo. But, uh, yeah, anyways... By 1975, Gacy had told his wife that he was bisexual after the couple had sex on Mother's Day that year. He informed her this would be the last time they would ever have sex. What? Why? <laughs> Jeez. He began spending most of his evenings away from home, only returning in the early hours of the morning with excuses he had been working late, okay? His wife observed John bringing teenage boys into the garage and found gay porn in men's wallets and identification inside the house. Uh, she confronted him about this and um, he informed her angrily that it was none of her business. Well, shit. And then following a heated argument, ah, when she failed to balance the checkbook correctly... On October 1975, Carol Gacy asked her husband for a divorce. He agreed to his wife's request, although by mutual consent, Carol continued to live at the house until 1976 in February when she and her daughters moved into their own place. One month later, on March, 20, on March 2nd, Gacy divorced Gacy's divorce decreed upon the false grounds of Gacy's infidelity with women. Okay, word. So the divorce was finalized. Fair enough. So by this point, he's been divorced twice, twice two wives, and his homosexual activities had became open. And then, um, the PM contractors, he, uh, established this in 1971, and then... The clown, although his membership at a local moose club, through his membership at a local moose club, whatever that is, Gacy became aware of Jolly Joker Clown Club, whose members regularly performed at fundraisers, fundraising events and parades in addition to voluntary entertaining hospital children. In late 1975, Gacy joined and created his own clown character, Pogo the Clown. So this is when his alternate ego was created. So he described Pogo as a happy clown, whereas Patches was a more serious character. So maybe he killed his Patches. 
Um, Gacy seldomly earned money from his performances and later said that acting as a clown allowed him to regress into childhood. Okay. He performed as both Pogo and Patches at uh, numerous local parties, political functions, charity events, childhood, child hospitals, and sometimes Gacy would remain in his clown garb after performances and briefly drink at local bars, dressed up as a clown before returning home. Imagine going to a bar and seeing a dude dressed up as a clown. <laughs> um, Gacy's Gacy's uh voluntarily public service as a clown throughout the years of his murders had led him to be known as the killer clown, obviously. Okay, so, um, blah, 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 there's a bunch of other shit you can read this all yourselves in the sources below, but, um, let's get into his murders, what you've all been waiting for. So, Gacy's first known murder was Timothy McCoy. So, this happened on January 3rd, 1972. According to Gacy's later account, following a family party on the evening of January 2nd, he decided to drive to the Civic Center in the Loop to view a display of ice sculptures in the early hours of the following morning. He then lured 16-year-old Timothy Jack McCoy from Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal into his car. McCoy was traveling from Michigan to Omaha, Nebraska. Gacy took McCoy on a sightseeing tour of Chicago, and then they went back to his house with the promise that he could spend the night and be driven back to the station in time to catch his bus. Um, before... To McCoy's ident before McCoy's identification, he was known simply as the Greyhound Bus Boy. Oof. Um, John said he woke early the following morning to find McCoy standing in his bedroom doorway with a kitchen knife. Okay. He then jumped from his bed, and McCoy raised both arms in a gesture of surrendering. Tight, uh, tilting the knife upwards and accidentally cutting Gacy's forearm. Gacy twisted the knife from McCoy's wrist, banging his head against the bedroom wall, kicking him against his wardrobe, and walked towards him. McCoy then kicked Gacy in the stomach, doubling him over. Gacy then grabbed McCoy, shouting, Motherfucker, I will kill you. He then wrestled McCoy to the ground and stabbed him repeatedly in the chest, and he strangled him. Uh, McCoy was dead, and Gacy claimed he had washed the knife off in his bathroom, then went to his kitchen and saw an open carton of eggs and a slab of unsliced bacon on the kitchen table. Fat ass remembering most details. Just kidding. <laughs> but, um... McCoy had also set the table for the two, huh? So maybe he was just asking him a question and fucking Gacy was overthinking. Like, I let this random boy into my house, he was trying to kill me. Um, but, um, set the table for the two. He had walked into Gacy's room to wake him while, uh, absently carrying the knife in his hand. Yes, exactly what I just said. Gacy bruised McCoy in his crawl had buried McCoy in his crawl space and later covered the grave with a layer of concrete. 
In an interview several years after his arrest, Gacy said that immediately after killing McCoy, he felt totally drained, yet noted that he, as he stabbed McCoy, and as he listened to the gurgulations and gasps for air that had escaped, that had that he had experienced um a mind numbing orgasm. So he uh fucking had an orgasm killing this kid. Shit. He added that when I realized that death was the ultimate thrill, that's when he realized that death was the ultimate thrill. Okay. Okay. And then his second murder was Gacy said the second time he committed murder was around January 1974. This victim's remains remains unidentified. Gacy strangled him and then placed the body in his closet before burial. He later stated that bodily fluids leaked from the victim's mouth and nose, staining his carpet. As a result, Gacy regularly stuffed clothes rags and victim's own underwear or a sock into the mouth of the subsequent victims to prevent this leakage from happening. Okay. So, depending on how you look at it, this is his second confirmed murder, or his third murder, and this is the murder of John Butikonovic. So, I'm just going to call him John. On July 31st, 1975... Another of Gacy's employees, John, an 18-year-old from Lombard, disappeared. John's car was found parked near the corner of Chardian and Lawrence with his jacket and wallet still in the car and the keys still in the ignition. Well, shit. And uh, before his disappearance, like a day before, John had uh, confronted Gacy over two weeks outstanding back pay, so he owed him two weeks worth of money. And John's father, a Yugoslavian immigrant, called Gacy, who claimed he was happy to help search for his son, but was sorry John had run away. Okay. Um, Gacy was questioned by police and said... John and his two friends had arrived at his house demanding the overdue pay, but they had reached a compromise, and all three had left. Over the following three years, John's parents called the police more than a hundred times, urging them to investigate Gacy further. Makes sense, makes sense. Gacy later admitted to, uh... Encountering John exiting his car at the corner of West Lawrence Ave, waving to attract his attention. According to John, <laughs> according to John Gacy, John approached his car stating, I want to talk to you. Gacy invited John into his car, then invited him back to his home. And then, um, they settled the issue of the overdue wages. At uh, Gacy's house, Gacy offered John a drink, then uh, conned him into allowing his wrist to be cuffed behind his back. Gacy later confessed to having sat on the kid's chest for a while before he strangled him. He sewed uh, John's body, like he uh, put John's body in uh, garbage bags or a garbage bag. Um, intending on burying the body later in the crawl space when his wife and stepdaughter returned earlier that 
returned earlier than expected. Okay. Uh, Gacy buried uh, John's body under the concrete floor of the garage in an empty space where he had initially intended to dig a drain line. Okay. So when was this murder? This murder was in 75. And when were they uh, divorced or whatnot? Hold on. So they were still married when uh, Gacy was committing these murders. Okay. So, uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then it says here something about cruising years. So it says, in addition to being the year of his business expanding, Gacy freely Im admitted 1975 was also when he began to increase the frequency of his excursions for sex with young men. He often uh, said... To the Junets, the Junets is cruises, so uh, these encounters is cruising, cruising for sex, or cruising in walks, okay word. Gacy committed most of his murders between 1976 and 1978, as he was largely, as he largely lived alone following his divorce. He later referred to these as his cruising years. Fair enough. So, in 1976, after his divorce, people started noticing erratic changes in his behavior. This included seeing him keeping company with young males, hearing his car rev or depart in the early hours of the morning, or seeing lights in his house switch on and off in the early hours. One of his neighbors later... Rec recollected that for several years the sound of muffled high-pitched screaming shouting and crying had repeatedly awakened her and her son in the early hours of the morning why didn't you call the fucking cops but i guess that neighborhood ain't raised no snitches <laughs> but still you should have called the cops like holy um she identified the sounds uh as emanating from the house adjacent to theirs on Somerdale Avenue. Well, shit. And since these murders took place in a house, you could call this another murder house. The murder house radio show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, fuck sakes. So in 1976, one month after his divorce was final, Gacy abducted and murdered 18-year-old... Daryl Samson, he was last seen alive in Chicago on April 6, 1976. Uh, Gacy buried him under the dining room with a section of cloth lodging, lodged in his throat. And then five weeks later, uh, on May 14th, 15-year-old Randall Refet disappeared while walking home from Scene High School. Hours after Gacy abducted Raphate, 14-year-old Samuel Stapleton vanished as he walked home from his sister's apartment. They were buried together in the crawl space, and investigators believed both victims were murdered the same evening. And then, um... Yeah, he continued to uh, keep on killing the same manner of uh, all this stuff. You can uh, look at the um, sources for that. 
and it just um continued to be killing on a rampage all the way up until the murder of Robert Pist. Piest. I did I cover it? Huh. Um it's but it says here the afternoon of December eleventh, nineteen seventy eight, Gacy visited Nil Nissan Pharmacy in Dest Plains to discuss a potential remodeling deal with the store owner, Phil Troff. Well, he was within earshot of 15-year-old part-time employee, Robert Peist. Gacy mentioned his firm offer. His firm often hired teenage boys at a starting wage of $5 per hour, almost double pay, almost double the pay Peist earned at the pharmacy. Okay, word. Shortly after Gacy left the pharmacy, Peist's mother arrived at the store to drive her son home so the family could celebrate her birthday together. Peist asked his mother to wait, adding that some contractor wants to talk to me about a job. He left the store at 9pm, promising to return shortly. He was never seen again. Pice was murdered shortly after 10 p.m. at Gacy's house. Gacy later stated that at his house, he asked Pice whether there was anything he wouldn't do for the right price, to which Pice replied that he did not mind working hard. In response, Gacy stated, good money could be earned by hustling. Although Pice was dismissive, Gacy then pubbed Pice into donning handcuffs, so duped him into putting handcuffs on, before saying, I'm going to rape you, and you can't do anything about it. And, um, Pice began crying. He also stated that as he placed the rope around Pice's neck, the boy was crying, scared. Gacy admitted to having received a phone call from a business acquaintance as Pice lay dying, suffocating on his bedroom floor. Well, Jesus Christ. So the investigation started when uh, Peist failed to return home for his mother's birthday and they reported him missing. And a uh, trough named Gacy as the contractor Peist had most likely been talking about when he left the store to go talk to Gacy about the job. Lieutenant John Kozinskek whose son attended Maine West High School, liked Peist, chose to investigate Gacy further. Good man. Having spoken with Peist's mother on the morning of December 12th, um, Joseph, the detective, became convinced Peist had not run away from home. A routine check of Gacy's criminal background revealed that he had an outstanding battery charge against him in Chicago and had served prison sent a prison sentence in Iowa for the sodomy of a 15-year-old boy that we covered earlier. Joseph and two Des Plaines police officers visited Gacy at home the following evening. Gacy said, as he seen two youths working at the pharmacy, and that he had asked one of them, whom he believed to be Pice, whether they were remodeling, they were whether they were remodeling materials behind the store. He was adamant, however, that he had not offered Pice a job, 
and only returned to the pharmacy shortly after 8 p.m. as he had left his appointment book at the store. Gacy promised to come to the station later that evening to make a statement confirming this, um, indicating he was unable to do so at the moment as his uncle had just died. Uh, when questioned as to how soon he could come to the police station, he responded, You guys are very rude. Don't you have any respect for the dead? Holy shit. Okay, then. And then, um, at 3.20 a.m., Gacy arrived at the police station covered in mud. Yep. Because he went and just buried the body. But he arrived at the police station covered in mud and he claimed he had been involved in a car wreck. On returning to the police station later that day, Gacy denied any involvement in Pice's disappearance and repeated that he had not offered him a job. <laughs> oh, excuse me. When they asked why he had returned to the pharmacy, Gacy retreated, uh, reiterated that he had done so in response to a phone call from Trofe informing him he had left his appointment book at the store. Detectives have already spoke to a trophy who denied calling Gacy. Oof. At the request of detectives, Gacy prepared a written statement detailing his motives on December 11th. Should have got a lawyer. Always get a lawyer. And then, here is his first search warrant. Suspecting Gacy might be holding Peist against his will at his home. The, the Des Plains police obtained a warrant to search Gacy's house on December 13th. The search of Gacy's property revealed several suspicious items, including several police badges, a 6mm Brevetta starter pistol. So like a oh word. So like um like a word, so a race starter pistol word. Inside a officer drawer, an office drawer, and a syringe and a hypodermic needle inside a cabinet in Gacy's bathroom. Hmm. The investigators also found handcuffs, books on homosexuality, and pederasty. Pederasty, what's that? Pederasty. Pederasty or pederasty is a sexual relationship between an adult man and a pubescent or adolescent oh that's not a good look seven pornographic films capsules of amylviterin whatever that is and then 18 inch dildo in gacy's bedroom oof and 36 inch two by four with holes drilled into each end Bottles of Valium and Atropine and several driver's licenses were found in the northwest bedroom. A blue hooded parka was found atop a toolbox inside a laundry room. An underwear too small to fit Gacy was also located inside the bathroom closet. Oof. In the northwest bathroom, investigators found a... Class of 1975 Maine West High School ring engraved with the initials J.A.S. Investigators also recovered Nyson Pharmacy photo receipt from a trash can alongside a 36-inch section of nylon rope. Well, shit. 
That's hella suspicious right there. Hella fucking suspicious. Jesus Christ. So they uh, placed Gacy on 24-hour uh, surveillance. And on December 15th, desk plane investigators obtained further details of Gacy's battery charge, leading the complaints Jeffrey Riganall had reported that Gacy had lured him into his car, then chloroformed, raped, and tortured him before dumping him with several chest and facial bruises and rectal bleeding in Lincoln Park the following morning. Oof. Um, in December 16th, Gacy was becoming affable with the surveillance detectives, regularly inviting them to join him for meals in restaurants and occasionally for drinks in a bar or at his home. He repeatedly denied that he had anything to do with Peist's disappearance and accused the officers of harassing him because of his political connections or because of his relations, his recreational drug use. Okay. Um. Word. So there's that. Um. And on December 17th, I believe. Yes, on December 17th, on the evening, Gacy invited detectives Albranch and Heimester. <laughs> to a restaurant for a meal in the early hours of December 18th. He invited them into another restaurant where, over breakfast, he talked of his business, his marriages, and his activities as a registered clown. At one point during the conversation, Gacy remarked, You know, clowns can get away with murder. Ooh. I don't know why you would say that to cops who are following you. But, uh, yeah. And then there was a civil suit launched on Gacy, I'm pretty sure. And it says, by December 18th, Gacy was beginning to show signs of strain from the constant surveillance. Oh, he did this on the cops, the civil suit. He was unshaven, looked tired, appeared anxious, and was drinking heavily. That afternoon, he drove to his lawyer's office to prepare a $750,000 civil suit against the Desta police, demanding they cease their surveillance word. The same day, the serial number of the Nissan Pharmacy photo receipt found in Gacy's kitchen was traced to 17-year-old Kim Byers, a college colleague of priests. At the pharmacy, Briars admitted when contacted in person the following day that she wore the jacket on December 11th to shield herself from the cold. She had placed the receipt in the para pocket just before she given the coat to Peist as he left the store, Oof. claiming a contractor wanted to speak with him. Okay, his stick. That's, this statement contradicted Gacy's previous statements that he had no contact with Robert Priest, Keist on the evening of December 11th. Ooh, shit. Shit's falling apart real quick here. Real fucking quick. So that same evening, uh, Rosie was interviewed again, like a second time. This time he was more cooperative he informed detectives that in the summer of 1977 at Gacy's behest he had sprayed 10 bags of lime in the crawl space of Gacy's home and then in December on December 19th investigators 
began compiling evidence for a search for a second search warrant at Gacy's house. On the same day, Gacy's lawyer filed the civil suit against the Des Plaines police. The hearing for the suit was scheduled for December 22nd that afternoon. So that afternoon, Gacy invited the surveillance detectives inside his house again as Officer Robinson dis distracted Gacy with conversation. Officer Schultz walked into Gacy's bedroom in an unsuccessful attempt to write down the serial number of uh, a TV set they suspected of belonging to uh, John Sykes. While... While flushing Gacy's toilet, the officer noticed a smell he suspected could be of, of rotting, decomposing, emanating from a heating duct. Ooh, shit. The officer who had searched Gacy's house previously had failed to notice this, as the house had been cold. Well, shit. So, during the interview um, of Rossi, R-O-S-S-I... He claimed, like, they asked him where they think he might have placed, uh, Pest's body, and he, uh, denied, um, any knowledge of the whereabouts, but he, uh, soon said, uh, it might have been in the crawl space, and remarked Gase, and remarked on Gacy's insistence that, that he not deviate from where he was instructed to uh, there is that uh cram informed investigators of gacy's attempt to rape him in 1976 he stated that after he and gacy had returned to his house after the december 13th search of the property gacy had turned pale after seeing a clot of mud on his carpet which she suspected had come from the crawl space. Cram said Gacy had grabbed the flashlight and immediately entered the crawl space to look for evidence of digging. When asked whether he had been to the crawl space, Cram replied he had once been asked by Gacy to spread lime down there and had also dug trenches when Gacy had explained where to... Uh, where he wanted uh, pipes or whatnot. Cram stated that these trenches were two feet wide, six feet long, and two feet deep. The size of graves. Well, shit. So on the evening of December 20th, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office to attend a scheduled meeting and uh, to discuss the civil suit trial or whatnot. Um... On his arrival, Gacy appeared disheveled and immediately asked for alcohol, and uh, they, he was given a bottle of whiskey from uh, the car of the person who fetched it or whatnot, and on his return, Amaranth asked Gacy what he had to discuss with them. Gacy picked up a copy of the Daily Harmon, Harold, the Daily Harold from Harmon's desk, pointed to the front page article covering the disappearance of Robert Pest and said, This boy is dead. He's in a river. Oof. Then he proceeded to give a rambling confession that ran into the early hours of the following morning. He began by informing Arminate. And Stevens, he had been the judge, jury, and executioner of many people. Well, shit. 
and that he now wanted to do the same for himself. He said he buried most of his victims in his crawl space and had disposed of five other bodies in Des Plaines River. Gacy dismissed his victims as male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars to whom he gave the rope trick, adding he sometimes awoke to find dead strangled kids on his floor with their hands cuffed behind their backs. He had buried their bodies in his crawl space as he believed they were his property. Well, shit. So, because of the whiskey, Gacy fell asleep. And I'm guessing his lawyer, um, the Amarant, immediately arranged a psychiatric appointment for Gacy at 9 a.m. that morning. So on awaking several hours later, Gacy shook his head when informed by uh, Amarant he had confessed to killing approximately 30 people, saying, Well, I can't think about this right now. I've got things to do. Ignoring his lawyer's advice regarding his scheduled appointment, Gacy left their office to attend to the needs of his business. Well, shit, there is that. Imagine being a lawyer and having one of your uh, clients drunkenly confess to killing over 30 people and knowing you can't do anything because of uh, patient confidentiality. That would be a... Uh, Fucking wild. Gacy later said his memories of his final day of freedom were hazy, adding he knew his arrest was inevitable and that he intended to visit his friends and say his final farewells. Well, after leaving his lawyer's office, Gacy drove to a gas station where in the course of filling his rental car, he handed a small bag of cannabis to the attendant, who immediately handed the bag to the surveillance officers, adding that Gacy had told him, The end is coming for me. These guys are going to kill me. Gacy then drove to the home of a fellow contractor and friend, Ronald Road. Gacy hugged Ron... Uh, road before bursting into tears and saying I've been a bad boy I killed 30 people give or take a few well shit Gacy left road and um drove to Cram's home to meet with Cram and Rosie Rossi Rosie Rossi um as he drove along the expressway the surveillance officers noted he was holding a rosary to his chin, praying while he drove. Well, shit. After the talk he had with Cram and Rossi, John had Cram drive him to a scheduled meeting with lawyer Lori Stevens. As Gacy spoke with him, Cram informed the surveillance officers that Gacy had told him and Rossi that he had confessed to over 30 murders with his lawyers in previous the previous evening, Gacy then had Cram drive him to Mary Hill Cemetery, where his father was buried. Interesting. So, uh, he definitely didn't hide the fact he killed all these people, and then I guess he just kind of broke down and started telling people close to him and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, he just kind of fucking lost it and broke down there, I guess. So the police gathered their stuff for their uh, second search warrant, and then the uh, 
surveillance team were like, yeah, he's acting all erratic and stuff. So they arrested him for possession and distribution of cannabis to hold him in custody so he wouldn't kill himself because they thought he was going to kill himself. And as a formal request for a second search warrant was presented at 4.30 p.m. on December 22nd, the eve of hearing a Gacy civil suit, the judge... Marvin J. Peters granted the request for a second search warrant. After police informed Gacy of their intentions to search his crawl space for the body of Pierce, Gacy denied the teenager was buried there, but confessed to having killed a young man in self-defense and whose body was buried under his garage. So, uh, the police had their search warrant and evidence uh, technicians drove to Gacy's home. On arrival, officers found Gacy had unplugged his sump pump. What's a sump pump? Sump pump is a pump used for removing water. Okay, word. Flooding in the crawl space with water to clear it. They simply replaced the plug and waited for the water to drain. After it had done so, evidence technician Daniel Genty entered the... 28 by 38 foot crawl space crawled to the southwest area and began digging. Within minutes, he had uncovered putrefied flesh and human arm bone. Genty immediately shouted to investigators that he could charge Gacy with murder, adding, I think this place is full of kids. A police photographer then dug in the northeast corner of the crawl space, uncovering a Patella, the two then began digging in the southeast corner, uncovering two lower leg bones. The victims were too decomposed to be piced, as the body discovered in the northeast corner was later unearthed. A criminal scene technician discovered the skull of a second victim alongside this body. Later excavations of the feet of of this, this second victim revealed a further skull beneath the body. Because of this, technicians returned to the trench where the first body was unearthed, discovering the rib cage of a fourth victim within the crawl space, confirming the scale of the murders. Whale shite. So, Gacy, on the morning of uh, December 22nd, with the presence of his lawyers, made a statement confessing to approximately 30 murders of young men and uh, who entered his home willingly, and he murdered 30 of them. So, uh, yeah. Some victims were referred to by name, but Gacy claimed not to know or remember most of their names. He claimed all were teenage male runaways or male prostitutes, the majority of whom he had buried in his crawl space. Gacy claimed to have only dug five of the victims' graves in this location and had his employees, including Gregory Godzinsk, dig the remaining trenches so that he would have graves available. Well, shit. So there is that yet. Um... In January 1979, he had planned to conceal the corpses even further by covering the entire crawl space with concrete. So, uh, yeah, there is that. There is that. So he basically confessed to everything, even to the police.
So over the course of months, he they uh, excavated the crawl space and uh, all that stuff. And um, his on his trial, Gacy was brought to trial on February 6, 1980, charged with 33 murders. He was tried in Cook County, Illinois, before Judge Louis Garipole. <laughs> the jury was selected from Rockford because of significant press coverage in Cook County. So then he was sentenced to uh, death for all of these murders. So, um, hold on, I will get you the actual stuff. Oh. Um, the jury deliberated for less than two hours and found Gacy guilty of 33 charges of murder. He was also found guilty of sexual assault and taking indecent liberties with a child, both convictions in reference to Robert Pest Piest. At the time of his conviction of 33 murders was the most of which any person in the U.S. had committed word at the time. In the sentencing phase of the trial, the jury deliberated for more than two hours before sentencing Gacy to death for each, commit, for each murder committed, so 33 death sentences. After the Illinois statute of capital punishment came into effect in June 1977, his execution was set for June 2nd, 1980. Word. So then, um, he was put on death row, all that good stuff, and uh, he filed a bunch of appeals that were all shot down, and then there is his execution. On the morning of May 9th, 1994, Gacy was transferred from the Mendera Correctional Center to Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill to be executed. That afternoon, he was allowed a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family. For his last meal, Gacy ordered a bucket of KFC chicken, a dozen fried shrimp, french fries, fresh strawberries, and Diet Coke. That evening, he observed prayer with a Catholic priest before being escorted to the Statesville Execution Chamber to receive the lethal injection. Before, the, before the execution again, the chemicals used to affect the execution solidified unexpectedly, clogging the IV tubes used to administer the chemicals into Gacy's arm. Accomplishing the procedure, so I'm... Um, Complicating the procedure. Uh, blinds covering the windows through which witnesses observed the execution were drawn. The execution team replaced the clogged tubes. After 10 minutes, the blinds were reopened and the execution resumed. The entire procedure took 18 minutes. Oof. Anesthesiologists blamed the problems on the prison officials inexperienced at conducting an execution, saying that had correct execution procedures been followed, the complications would never have occurred. This error apparently led to Illinois adopting an alternative method of ex of lethal injection. Okay, on this subject, one prosecutor at Gacy's trial, William Knuckle, said he got a much easier death than any of his victims. Very true. And according to reports, 
Gacy was diagnosed was a diagnosed psychopath who did not express any remorse for his crimes, obviously. His final statement to his lawyers before his execution was that killing him would not comp compensate for the loss of others, the, and that the state was murdering him. His final spoken words were reported to be, Kiss my ass. What a guy. So, up like at the hours leading up to his execution, crowds gathered outside... Estimated to be over a thousand people gathered outside the correctional center, and uh, the vocal majority were in favor of the execution, although a number of anti-death penalty protesters were also there. Some of those in favor of the execution wore t-shirts, here keening to Gacy's previous community services as a clown, and bearing strategical slogans such as no tears for the clown the anti-death penalty protesters presented observed a silent candlelit vigil after Gacy's death was confirmed at 12:58 a.m. on May 10th 1994 his brain was removed in it is in the possession of Helen Morrison Mor Helen Morrison a witness of the defendant Gacy's trial, who was interviewed by, inter, who has interviewed Gacy and other serial killers in an attempt to isolate common personality traits of violent sociopaths, his body was cremated. Well, shite. There is that. There is that. So there are six unidentified victims word and then there is possible additional victims you can go read all of this stuff um if you want to see more there's a bunch of stuff and then there is a bunch of documentaries and movies about him four movies and one two three four five six documentaries and, uh, yeah, there is that. So, this is, um, the, one of the more heavy hitters. So, uh, this is a way, um, overdone one. So, I hope you enjoyed my take on it. Because you probably knew most of this information. But, yeah, I hope you enjoyed my take on it. Hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on Gacy and all that stuff? Leave it in the comments below. So that is John Wayne Gacy. Thank you for listening to this episode on the Murder House Radio Show. I hope you have a good rest of your Friday whenever you are listening to this. Check out the social medias and the sources in the description below. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Once you hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification and select all to get all notifications if you are listening on YouTube. If you are listening on a podcasting platform, hit follow. Leave your suggestions for future episodes in the comments. See you next episode. This is your host X, signing off.